Nothing screams for the help of behavioral economics more than the health sector. Why is it that we pay exorbitant amounts of money for workout programs and gym memberships, but we don't make proper progress or even progress at all? How can we fix this? These and many more questions will be answered in the third episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour. This week's topic, behavioral economics and exercise. Greatness Radio Hour, where you can gain a better understanding of the inner workings of human decision-making by learning about different concepts from the realms of behavioral economics and business psychology. Today, in the third episode of this podcast, we move away from the sole analysis of a cognitive bias and move on to a more practical application of the knowledge gained by behavioral economics. One of the most important questions one can ask when dealing with behavioral economics is trying to understand how the results one comes up with can lead to an improvement in the life of oneself and more broadly speaking the general public so today we pose the question what does behavioral science teach us about getting people to make better choices when it comes to exercise are you ready let's get started to gain a better understanding of the underlying problem we need to look at how the current situation can be summarized A 2008 poll found that roughly 59% of Americans want to lose weight, a figure that's unchanged since 2001. However, in the same time frame, Americans gained an average of 6 pounds in body weight. There seems to be a disconnect between the two. For most people, failure to exercise is unlikely to be due to ignorance or lack of interest. It is more likely the result of difficulties in translating initial motivation to exercise into sustained behavioral change. In other words, It is hard to form an exercise habit. When asked, many American adults claim that they want to be healthier, to lose weight and to be more active. However, a 10-year-old study finds that between 1993 and 2008, obesity was a greater threat to the health of Americans than smoking. But it is not just the US. The rise of hypertension, type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease may have been most pronounced in the developed world but many rapidly developing countries, including India and China, are now following the disturbing trend. One thing to note is that it does not appear to be a problem of resources. In 2013 in the US, 52.9 million people spent almost $23 billion at health and fitness clubs, but many of those people never or rarely exercised. So where does the disconnect come from? First of all, let's examine the standard gym business model. It is a staple in the basic understanding of behavioral economics. Commercial health clubs need about 10 times as many members as their facilities can handle. So designing them for athletes or even aspiring athletes makes no sense. Fitness fanatics work out too much, making every potential new member think, nah, this place looks too crowded for me. The winning marketing strategy, according to Recreation Management Magazine, a health club industry trade rag, focuses strictly on luring in the out-of-shape public, meaning all of those people whose doctors have told them about 20 minutes three times a week, who won't come often, if ever, and who definitely won't, won't join unless anything looks easy, available, and safe. 
The entire gym from soup to nuts has been designed around getting suckers to sign up and then getting them mildly, vaguely exercised every once in a while and then getting them out of the door. That is why these commercial gyms are also designed uniquely. For example, Planet Fitness, a health club chain in the US, gives away 3 million slices of pizza each year. The pizza is a membership perk. Monthly, Planet Fitness has a free pizza night and a baked breakfast. Planet Fitness is a budget chain with memberships as low as $10 a month. The low price is the incentive to join and remain. Estimated by one employee, membership at her Upper West Side New York City location is close to 6,000, but the equipment can accommodate no more than 300 people. Because members seem to prefer the bagel breakfast, the cardio and weight equipment that do not matter. Even for the pricey establishments like Equinox, the focus is wellness offerings. That, at one New Jersey location, begins with a landscape green wall, cobblestone drive, and a grand barrel vault wood ceiling. According to a health club architect, the design is supposed to resemble a bar when you enter. Taking one reporter on a tour, he explained that he hides the serious workout equipment in a separate room downstairs. For these gyms, it makes more sense to have people think they will want to work out there than actually following up on that goal. Despite all of this, if you want to simply sign up to a gym where you can find most or all of the needed equipment and just do your workouts in, pretty much any gym does the trick. So in theory, Anyone, barring Olympic weightlifters and Mr. Olympia contestants, could get their optimal workouts in while going to Planet Fitness. So, if we innately wanted to work out regularly, this wouldn't hinder us. The problem is we inaccurately perceive our future selves. Whether undersaving for retirement or overplanning our visits to the gym, we let our current outlook cloud a potential future reality. One study suggests that people join gyms because they overestimate how often they will go. It's one thing to say you'll go to the gym tomorrow and every day after that, but it's quite another matter when you're exhausted after a long day of work and just want to curl up with some Netflix. A 2014 American Medical Association article by behavioral researchers explains that this happens to most people. It's normal. We have the best intentions when we set our goals, but often don't follow through when the time comes to act up on them. It boils down to this realization. We're wired to favor immediately pleasurable activities. In behavioral economics and public health, Yale researchers explain that we tend to think in the present. They cited a study in which people had to choose between junk food and fruit for a snack for the week ahead, and most people chose fruit. However, when the snacks were delivered, the subjects were asked again to choose which snack they wanted right then and there, and only 20% of them stuck with fruit. They could be virtuous in theory, but when reality hit, those good intentions didn't stick. A key problem is the difficulty of translating current motivation into long-term behavioral change. While for many people the prospect of exercising for three months and improving their health may seem attractive today, the daily decision to do their exercise during that period is a much more difficult one. In behavioral economics, the problem of wanting to do something in the future but failing to do so when the future becomes the present is called dynamic inconsistency. This principle is important in explaining why it's been so difficult to encourage healthy lifestyles. There are immediate costs to eating less or exercising more, junk food tastes good and exercises hard, while long-term benefits, better health and a little extra time at the end of life that might counteract the perceived losses are often distant and intangible. A related concept is present bias, which leads people to pay more attention to immediate costs and benefits than equally significant ones 
that are likely to occur in the future. It is now time for a quick break, but when we come back, we will talk about possible solutions for all of these problems. Stay tuned. If you like what you've been hearing so far and you want to help this podcast to reach more people, it would mean a lot if you were able to leave a rating on iTunes. Additionally, if you are interested in learning more about fundamental concepts of behavioral economics and how you can use them to make better decisions in your life going forward, consider following us on Instagram at Cultivate Greatness. Welcome back to the third episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour, where, before the break, we talked about the point of view behavioral science has on why it is problematic for the general public to commit to exercising. Now, we will talk about how to possibly combat these problems. First, let's look at two real-life examples. The company Switch to Health sells wristwatches that lock physical activity. For every 60 minutes of movement, a code reveals itself and users log on to the company website to enter the code and receive points. These can be redeemed for really cool prizes, ranging from iTunes cards and gift cards to, to different stores, all the way to Nintendo Wii's. Sounds good, right? However, the company was not satisfied with the number of people taking action, exercising, and redeeming points. So they, they experimented with different ways to motivate their user base. One idea provided to them by Wharton students was that instead of having people start with zero points and gaining them through exercise, they were to be given points and then those were taken away if they did not meet their exercise goals. Here, the concepts of loss aversion has been applied. If you want to learn more, listen to the very first episode of this podcast. Participants that were given the wristwatch were randomly assigned to two forms of treatments. The team then gave half the exercises their point up front warning them that the points would be taken away if the goal wasn't met. A painful loss of 60 points per hour. The other half of exercises expect to earn their points the traditional way. First workout, then get 60 points per hour. In addition to this, the participants were either given the goal of three or five weekly hours of exercise. First of all, those who were randomly assigned a higher goal in terms of weekly hours exercised more. When the goal was three hours a week, people exercise an average of 1.27 hours. This may not sound too impressive, but when the goal was five weekly hours, those busy, overcommitted students reached 2.15 weekly hours of exercise, almost twice as much. Sure, on average people fell short of their goal, but the effect of merely setting these goals seemed to work. For example, the students who were assigned a goal of five weekly hours received 300 points each when the experiment started an equivalent of 60 points per hour. They had to live through the pain of seeing some of these points taken away from them because, on average, they only exercised 2.64 hours a week. But they put up a fight because their fellow students who were in the control group and who received points as they went along had only exercised 1.38 hourly weeks on average. 
that's almost half the amount of hours. Similar results were obtained for the group whose goal was set at three weekly hours. The work done here was also inspired by an article about a Boston gym program, which we will talk about next. PACT was a mobile consumer health and fitness startup that created a platform for its members to create PACTs of how many days a week they wanted to exercise. To make goals more interesting, members decided how much they wanted to put on the line to pay if they didn't get to the gym. If they met their PACT by checking in at their gym with their app, they received cash rewards paid for by those who didn't exercise. PACT launched a pilot program in October with a small group of participants, including some first-time gym members at Body Total Fitness in Boston. The second group of about 20 customers kicked off 2011 at Planet Fitness locations in Government Center in Boston and Porter Square in Cambridge. PACT negotiated group weight with Planet Fitness, then paid the membership fees for participants, who in return for a free membership agreed to work out at least four times a week. If they failed to follow the schedule in any one week, the participants paid $25. If they leave the program for any other reason other than injury or illness, they will pay $75. As we already talked about earlier in this episode, in traditional gym memberships, not going is not very costly. Everybody expects to pay for going to the gym, but once you've set the reference point at zero payment, every time you need to reach into your wallet and pay hurts. And to avoid the pay of paying, people walk the treadmill, run, or visit a spin class instead of missing out on a few bucks. Now, these were two pilot projects which were very specific for the circumstances, but we can still learn a great deal from them. Just because we tend to favor the present doesn't mean all is lost when it comes to reaching our weight loss goals. This is where commitment devices come in. Commitment devices are simply a way to pre-commit to following through with the goals we decide on today, so we're more likely to stick with our goals when that critical decision-making moment arrives later. They're not necessarily devices, but more like arrangements you make to influence future behavior. They can take many different kinds of forms. Making a commitment to someone else, say by having a personal trainer or workout buddy, is one way to keep yourself on task. Scheduling workouts with other people has many scientifically proven benefits. Finding a workout buddy ensures you'll be held accountable for skipping a visit. It also makes exercise more fun, assuming you pick a partner you like and builds on the fact that we like to do the same things we see our friends doing. When you avidly watch Shark Tank, you may have heard of the Kitchen Safe, which has scored a $100,000 investment when having been presented on the show. It is a container a person can lock for a certain length of time. It can be used to lock away whatever tempts us and keep it out of reach. If having one too many treats is your struggle, literally lock them away when you've decided to quit eating so that a few minutes later when temptation strikes again, you won't be able to indulge. When it comes to food, a study from 2009 found that people make better decisions about the food they buy when they order their groceries online. Interestingly, this only seems to work if the delivery occurs far enough in the future. The study found scheduling next day delivery didn't help, but scheduling it at least two days out did. As we already touched on in the first episode, websites like Stick or BeMinder allow people to publicly commit to positive behavior change. The goal-setting platform created by behavioral economists at Yale University draws on the principle of loss aversion. The secret behind how commitment devices work, in essence, is that you disconnect the decision to exert good behavior from executing and behaving accordingly. Something that was a tremendous help in staying committed to a workout routine for me personally was being penalized when I missed a workout. While using Urban Sports Club, the biggest flat rate sports membership in Europe where you can pick and choose different courses from different gyms, whenever I can pre-register for 
or in other words, pre-commit to a class, I reserve a spot there which leads to me, when I miss that particular workout, having to pay a penalty fee of 15 euros for every time this happens. This setup works like a combination between a commitment device as well as a penalty program when I do not make it to the session in question. And that's it for this episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour. As this show is still relatively new and will continue to be experimental, I would appreciate any kind of feedback on its contents. So please let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you would be interested in hearing about, anything you have to say about the show. It's easiest to reach me on Instagram, either darts94x or cultivate greatness are fine. The URLs to everything can be found in the show notes of this episode. Thank you as always for tuning in and listening to the latest episode of the Cultivate Greatness Radio Hour. Be sure to check out previous and upcoming episodes via your podcast app of choice or at anchor.fm slash cgrh where all episodes of the podcast can be found. Thanks again and I will catch you guys next week. Music